Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. We are picking up now from a series that started a year and a half, no, two years, two and a half years ago, that we, was it two and a half years ago, really? Route 66. Get your kicks on Route 66. And we stopped at Lamentations, kind of left on a sad note. So we're going to pick it back up tonight in the book of Ezekiel. And I'm going to just continue this series in Route 66, where we have been walking, you know, we started going through every book in the Bible and just making a stop there. And we built a road map, and I gave an acronym for MAP. M stands for memento. You know, when you go on a trip, you go, you buy some trinkety thing to remember that trip by. Maybe a refrigerator magnet, T-shirt, mug, coffee mug, whatever it might be to remember your trip from. You bring a memento home. And so we're going to bring a, a memento in home out of this, this book tonight, something that you can live on, something that you can meditate on and apply to your life right now, something that's relevant now. And then A from the word map stands for attraction. We're going to find, see the big thing, the big theme or big theological idea or truth from each book, the must-see, all right? And then P is always the person of Jesus. The entire book is him. And uh, in the Old Testament, he's, he's a bit hidden. He's concealed, but in the New Testament, he is revealed. But nonetheless, Christ is there. And we're going to see a glorious expression of Jesus in this book. Um, the, the book of Ezekiel was a bit difficult for me to break it down into one thing. Because, I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary book. And there's so much to it. For one thing, it's like 48 chapters. Um, but nonetheless, I'm just going to give you a good synopsis of it. I do encourage you to read it, all right, to read, read these books as we go through them on Wednesday nights because I'm just going to give you basically a spotlight on them, but maybe just spark some hunger and some interest in these books and uh, for you to have your own time in them. But before we go- jump into this, I want to welcome back Pastor Brandon Marshall. Where's Sarah? Huh? Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, well, I won't say that, but come up here and greet everybody. Back from Granbury, two years in Granbury, Texas at our One Cause Granbury, and, and as many of you, come up here, Sarah, she just walked in, and as many of you know that um, uh, we just sat in last Sunday, I wasn't, uh, well, no, it wasn't this past Sunday, Sunday before, I was with Pastor Brandon, and we were sitting in Lowell, our, our pastor, his associate pastor, he'd been there with you uh, close to a year, and uh, we, we took Lowell from our Deleon campus and, uh, and then made him now the pastor of our Granberry campus. So uh, we've been waiting for this moment. We didn't know how long this would take, uh, but Brandon and Sarah are back with us. So say hi to <laughs> Well, hello. Good evening. Good to be home. We're excited about what's, uh, what's coming. I know that there's, there's amazing things coming. You know, the the conference was really good for us. We got some clear direction on uh, on uh, where to be and uh, and togetherness and and all these things. And so we're looking forward to uh, to seeing what God has. You know, it's going to take some time to get back in the groove of being home, but uh, we're here and we love you. Not we're much not much time. We're we're here to serve and uh, well, and <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, we're excited about uh, about the future. So we want you to be excited too. And we love you, and uh, this is just a, it's a, 
it's a great time, great time to be home. How long did it take you to get to church tonight? Six minutes. Six minutes, as opposed to an hour and 40 minutes every week, so. Yeah, we do kind of match. You want to say anything? Yay. <laughs> Glad to have you guys back. Very much. I'm glad to have y'all, but I'm especially glad AJ's back. I got a crush on her. <laughs> and uh, my mother-in-law, Karen Cook, is here tonight, so I want to give her her due. And also, I thought something was kind of cool tonight, and maybe I shouldn't do this, but I am going to brag a little bit on my daughter tonight. Um, I was really proud, really proud of you, Maddie. Um, you have an anointing for this. You know, when you start singing, it's like I didn't, I didn't even like recognize you. It was, it was really special. I could see the gift of God working in you. And as I was watching you do that, worship the Lord like that, and thinking about, I was thinking back to my beginnings and that, and just all the, you fidgeting with stuff and thinking, just let it go. You'll learn to let it go. But, but then I look over and see my best pal Potsy over there playing guitar and thinking, we started playing guitar when we were 10 years old and just learning church music and rock and roll music and, and played in a band for years. And then to see him still playing and now this next generation's come up. That was, uh, I don't know, that was just cool for me to see tonight. Really cool. And in that song, Your Good, Good Father was going around. I was just like, Lord, you love me so much. I thank you for that. I don't know why he does, but he does. And he loves you too. He didn't love me anymore than he does you. He loves all of us. But we need to know that. We need to know he loves us because he does. Hallelujah. I'm just, I've just been strengthened and refreshed in his love tonight. Needed it. Um, so the book of Ezekiel. Now, on this... Um, in this map tonight, we're going to first go to the, to the attraction. Um, I'm not going to go to chapter 37 about the dry bones as far as the main attraction goes. Um, I think most of you know that part of Ezekiel very well. We will touch on it here in just a little bit. Actually, we're going to get our memento from there. But I want, from chapter 1, I'm just going to read this chapter. It's 28 verses. I'm just going to read it because it's so descriptive and it's just so powerful, of uh, this vision that appeared to Ezekiel. I just want you to hear the words, all right? Now, it came to pass, Ezekiel chapter 1, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Now, Israel has been taken into captivity at this time. This is during the Babylonian rule when they came in and they plundered Israel. And God had to turn Israel over to their own demise. It's because they had rejected him. They had, they had followed false gods. And they, they said, we basically are comfortable living like Gentiles. We don't want to be a special, chosen, separate people. And so they, they had refused God. And so God then let them go uh, and reap the, 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 not benefit, but the, uh, the harvest of their seeds sown, the choices that they made. And so, um, on the, let me just keep going. On the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of the king, 
Jehoiakim's captivity. Jehoiakim was the king of Israel at that time. The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi. What a name, huh? In the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar, and the, land, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. So he's dwelling in this, this, this area. Uh, Tel Abib is actually what it was called. It was a small community. They were, they were actually south of Babylon, uh, probably several miles, maybe 10 miles south of Babylon is where he was. And so a lot of this book is directed to that specific people group there. Um, but Ezekiel covers all nations of the world. He addresses all the nations of the world, and, but specifically Israel. Verse 4, Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces. Each one had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides, and each of the four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each went straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had the face of an eagle. Can we keep up with this descriptive language yet? I'm like, whoa. Thus were their faces, their wings stretched upward. Two, thing, two wings of each one touched one another and two covered their bodies. And each one went straight forward. They went wherever the Spirit wanted to go, and they did not turn when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning. And the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces." The appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl, and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. You remember the Carmen song? I knew him as a wheel within a wheel. Okay. When they moved, verse 17, when they moved, they went toward any one of the four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. There's a message being spoken here by that term coming up again and again. They did not turn aside. Wherever the Spirit went, they went straight. In, in total harmony with the will of the Spirit. When they moved, they went, went toward any other direction. They did not turn aside when they went. Verse 18, as for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went because there the Spirit went. And the wheels were lifted together with them. For the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Okay, I'm kind of lost here now. It's like, wow. But it's so descriptive. All of this has meaning. When those went... These went. When those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. 
And this is a shadow or type and shadow of Christ being the will within the will. He is the spirit who dwells in us. All right? The spirit of Christ now lives in us. As Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the will within the will. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. And under the firmament, their wings spread out straight one toward another. Each one had two which covered one side and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. Verse 24, when they went, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty. A tumult like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. A voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings. And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. I wonder who that is. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward I saw as it were the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward I saw as it were the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard a voice of one speaking. Now, isn't that a must-see in this, in this great book of 48 chapters? And lots of Ezekiel's writings are very descriptive like this. And it's hard to really, even though he's being very descriptive, it's hard to put it all together, what he's seeing. And I'm sure it was hard for him to even describe what he was seeing. He was just trying to put it in terms that, words that we could understand. But I want to just take a moment and, and talk about that description in, in Ezekiel and, and have you look up here. Can we bring up this, uh, the parallel verses? Um, now, I'm just putting this up here because if, if you want to write some of these things down and maybe, maybe look them up or you can take a picture with your phone if that's faster. These are just a few of the parallels between the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation. All right, And the throne vision that Ezekiel had in chapter 1 that we just read, you can read so many things that are alike in Revelation chapter 4. The rainbow around the throne. Uh, what Christ looked like, the man on the throne, how it describes him. Um, also, um, there, are these, there are the living creatures, the living creatures with the four faces. The eagle, the ox, the man, and the lion. Those, those very same creatures are mentioned in the book of Revelation, written hundreds of years after the book of Ezekiel. Isn't this extraordinary? Uh, the plagues, the book being opened, the coals in the altar. Uh, I mean, the, the, the list just goes on and on and on. I, I was, as I was researching, I saw one man had, had somewhere around 80 parallels between Ezekiel and Daniel. I mean, I mean, Ezekiel and Revelation. And he had them chronologically laid out, uh, saying that they're identical in the way that they progress. Extraordinary stuff. Um, so God was, I mean, this is a massive vision. Not only is this a, was this a vision for, for Israel during their time of captivity, but also God was, it was a multidimensional kind of uh, vision, is that he was showing um, eternity and God's eternal purpose in all this and, and showing what the, what the time was then, but what the time would be, what was in God's heart all along to bring them out of that bondage 
and to become a people unto him. And so between uh, the first 11 chapters, um, you see the word, the glory of the, the words, the glory of the Lord. Uh, it's mentioned 12 times in the first 11 chapters. So this is a big theme in Ezekiel, especially in the very beginning. Now, all the things that he sees there um, in, in describing what God is showing, the visions of heaven, the visions of the throne room, and these creatures and all kinds of things. And so we see the glory of the Lord over and over again. But then the Lord has put uh, a word in Ezekiel's mouth to talk to the children of Israel and, and tell them that judgment has come to them because of them playing the harlot and, and choosing other gods and deciding not to be a people separated. They've forgotten about the goodness of their God. They've forgotten about the wonders that he has done for them um, from ages past and all the great miracles and how God brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage of 400 and something years, and now made them people unto himself. He gave them laws that would establish them as a nation, and, and, and his favor would be upon them, and they, they would be the apple of his eye, the object of his affection, and, and he would show himself great through these people. But now, for some reason, here they found themselves in captivity because they seem to continue this same process, the same cyclical thing. And, and part of the problem was is that they were living under a law that they really couldn't keep. God bringing the law to men, to Israel, was actually not his idea. They asked for it. Just like God never wanted them to have a king, but they asked for a king. And so Samuel had to inquire of the Lord about that, and then God granted them Saul. But he, when, when, when Moses had led the children of Israel out there, and, and they, God descended down on this mountain, and the scripture says there was black, black cloud, and there was lightning and thunder and earthquake and all that, and the Lord had invited the entire nation to come and experience his presence, and they said, <laughs> no way are we going up in that. Now, it's easy for us to look at them and think, well, you idiots, but we're reading their story, and they're living in the moment, right? They're living that. This, this isn't a script we're going by. They're, they're living in this moment, and how would you feel if you saw all that terror? So they said, Moses, here's, and I'm just going to, paraphrase what they said. You go and meet with God and then tell him to tell us what to do and we're good. Just give us a to-do list. And so God said, okay, I got ten simple rules. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images, nothing carved. Uh, you shall remember the Sabbath day. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not uh, bear false witness. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it up. So he says all these things, and then, and then number 10 says, and don't covet. In other words, don't want to do any of those things. Well, that's where everybody gets nailed, right? So, and they couldn't do it. And so because of that, then God had to establish a sacrificial system just so he wouldn't kill them. And they would sacrifice these bulls and these goats and, and blood, because blood speaks the language of God. All right? And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, the Scripture says. So these animals were instead in of, of these who had sinned. And so they would have to sacrifice these animals all day long. It was just bloody sacrifice all day long from morning till night. And, and, and that would appease 
the wrath of God and, and, and just simply tolerate the people in that way. And this was not what God had wanted. This is not, he wanted fellowship. He wanted to be in amongst them. He wanted his presence to be among them. And this is what, this is the heart cry of, of, of God through Ezekiel. When it talks about the glory of, of the Lord over and over again, it's talking about his manifest presence. Him wanting to be among his people and, and, they, and he couldn't be because they refused him. And so then he said, okay, then these things are going to happen. So then God would let them go into captivity and they would reap the consequences of their actions, and he, and he did those things in hopes that they would turn to him, and he would tell them, if you would just turn to me, all this will go away. Isn't that amazing? Hey, he's always been there over and over again, no matter how many times Israel had done this. This has been their story for generation after generation and generation, and God just can't get over them. He loves them, and he wants to be with them. He wants to be their God, and he wants them to call themselves his people. But here we are again. Now they are in captivity in Babylon. And so from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 43, there's no mention of God's glory. Twelve times it's mentioned in the first 11 chapters. I think that's, I think that's significant that it's, that it's 12 times. I think it has everything to do with the 12 tribes of Israel, with the sons of Jacob. But what's interesting is, when you get over to chapter 43, it's mentioned only in two chapters, 43 and 44, and it just happens to be mentioned five times. The number of grace. The time that we're living in today. But one very significant thing has happened between what happened when the glory departed in, 11, in chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, the beginning of 12, all the way to 43. And we're going to go to now to Acts, I mean, Acts, to chapter 37. Chapter 37, Ezekiel 37. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. And remember, God had brought him out into a plane and looking over dead bones. Now, these aren't just dead bones. These aren't just bones. These are dried up, been there a long time bone. All right? Scattered abroad, scattered all over the place. And God says, can these bones live? It's interesting. Now, what, this is the memento I want you to take home. That it is never over with God. There is always hope. It's never over. No matter how long, no matter how dead, it is never over with God. There is always hope. And uh, can you bring up that little picture right quick, Lisa? This here is a crepe myrtle. We have a few of these in our town. But that crepe myrtle, as far as I'm concerned, is a bit of a miracle. Because you've heard me tell the story about when Heather was gone to Europe last year. I had, I had to tear down our old fence. I love HOAs. Let me just say how much I really appreciate HOAs. And uh, so I needed to build this new fence. Well, her crepe myrtle that her mother actually had bought her um, was in the corner of our yard. And I needed to get it out of there because I was having to move the fence a little bit. And so... I uprooted this crepe myrtle and didn't do a very good job. 
and it dried up and died. And it was a really, really nice crate. It was beautiful. So I thought, oh, crud, what am I going to do? I know, I'll just go get another one and just plant it there and act like nothing ever happened. Put it in the middle of the yard and act like nothing ever happened. So I took the kids with me and went out to, uh, what was that, Chambersville, I think, tree farm out there and picked out what I thought was exactly like the one that we had. And so I brought it home and I planted that grape myrtle and got it in the ground and I thought, this looks good. I mean, it looks the same to me. She gets home from Europe and so I, I, I'm, I'm more excited just to show her the fence. I'm kind of hoping that she'll just kind of, the crepe model will kind of be blurred in, in view of the, the fence, right? So she's looking at the fence. She goes, what happened to my crepe model? Where's my crepe model? I said, that one in the middle of the yard, you can't see that? She said, that's not, that's not the same one. And I thought for sure I, I would have her. I should have known. And she says, that's not the same color flower. To me, it looks exactly the same color, but she says it's not. So, but she forgave me because I built her a new fence. So, so I'm watering, the, I'm watering the yard, and, and I had to do a lot of watering around the edges because we dug up a lot for, for the fence. And uh, I don't know, a few, few weeks had gone by. And lo and behold, this guy starts sprouting up back there. And apparently one of the roots that was, because I, <laughs> I demolished that root system. I don't even know how anything survived that. But that little grape myrtle started coming back. And uh, my son mowed it once, almost killed him. <laughs> so it had to start all over again. <laughs> but now it's tall enough, hopefully he'll, <laughs> he won't do that. But every time I go out there and I go out there and water it, I'm reminded that it's, it's not hopeless with God. I'm reminded that just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. And hope that is seen, the scripture says, isn't hope. But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with patience. Let me encourage you tonight that it is not over with God. And He is the God of our hope, the Scripture says. And the hope that He brings, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says that this hope does not disappoint. Come on, have you ever hoped for something and got disappointed? Come on, cowboy fans, talk to me. Huh? I got my hope this year. Broncos are the reigning champs. But that's, that's, that, that's deflating, it's defeating, it's frustrating. But the scripture says the hope that God gives us is a hope that will not disappoint. And so I want to encourage you, whatever situation you might find yourself in, do not give in. Don't lose your hope. Don't lose your hope. Matter of fact, become a prisoner of hope. If you're going to be imprisoned in something, imprison yourself in hope. Get in that cell called hope and lock the door and throw the key as far away from you as possible and hold on to it. The scripture says this hope we have is an anchor of the soul. And the scripture also says in Hebrews that let us not, uh, let us hold fast, I should say, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. For he who promised is faithful. All right? 
Can these bones live? When God asks questions like that, there is an answer to it. Can these bones live? Is it possible? Yes, it is. And if he's saying that, then you need to just say, yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, I don't see how. But if you're asking the question, then obviously it's possible. All things are possible with our God. Amen. Now let's go to one last place. One last two places. Go back to uh, uh, Ezekiel 1 for a moment, if you would, Lisa, and verse 10. And this is where we're going to look at the person of Jesus. You spent some time in the sun or in a tanning bed. <laughs> you got real sun? Oh. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion. Next, on the right side, each of the four had the face of an ox. And the left side, each, had the, each of the four had the face of an eagle. This is interesting. Now, each of these four creatures had these four faces. The man, the ox, the eagle, and the lion. All right? The man, the ox, the eagle, and the lion. Now, this is a description of Christ. This is a picture of him because we find this big time magnified in the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew, he's the king. He is the lion of Judah. And, 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 and when Matthew does Christ's uh, genealogy, he... T he he does his genealogy uh, after a royal fashion, showing that he's the son of David, all right? Saying that he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he's talking about his kingship, all right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. You get over to Mark, no genealogy. No genealogy mentioned where Jesus came from. But Mark's gospel is all about his servanthood. Christ the servant the ox, the humble servant that came. So that on one side we have the king, we have the lion, on the other side we have the humble ox. But then you get over to Luke, and Luke's genealogy is, a, is quite a bit different from Matthew's because Luke deals with Mary's side. He talks about Mary's, brings it from Mary's genealogy, and then you see all the different ones that are found in there all the different women that are found in there. And he says, the son of Adam. The very last person he says, the son of Adam, which means this is the man. This talks about the man. And Luke highlights Christ Jesus, the son of man. But then there's John, whose genealogy is, in the beginning was the word. This is a lofty, lofty, lofty description of our Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John brought, talked to, about him as the son of God, the eagle that flies higher, above, high, higher than any other bird. So we have John, Luke talking about the, the humanity of Christ and John talking about the divinity of Christ, but all of them are perfectly paralleled where one does not higher than the other. The servant, the king, the Son of Man, and the Son of God. 
Marvelous. And, and when we get into the Gospels, we'll, we'll probably go into more description of those kinds of things. But just some fun things to learn. And then this last place is found in Ezekiel 34. There are a lot of things about Christ. We could talk about the tender branch, but we won't do that tonight. I want to encourage you just to read the book and, and see if you find him there. All right? Because he's all over this book. I will establish one shepherd over them. This is God speaking of Israel. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. Now, he's talking about Jesus. He shall feed them, because David's long gone by now. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And the scripture says that in, in Isaiah chapter 9, it says that for unto us a son is given... And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he is going to sit on the throne of who? David. All right, we know that Jesus Christ will literally come back to earth and he will literally sit down on the literal throne of David in Israel. And he will rule from that place. All right, the son of David. So this is talking about that day when, the, when I will make one shepherd. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10? I am the good shepherd. And when he looked out over Israel, he wept because he saw them as sheep gone astray, scattered, having no shepherd. And we find him again and again throughout the scripture. This entire, he is the sum total of the entire book. As Hebrew says, God who at various times and times past spoke to us by his prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the final answer. In other words, God is saying, I'm saying all of this to save Jesus. He's, he's the, the subject of the matter, always. The essence of all the, of this truth is found in the man, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So don't, don't forget tonight to take this home that with God in your life and God on your side, it is never over. There is always hope. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.